So for this week, we chose the word, or the word was chosen for us, actually. Yeah. Drown. Mm-hmm. So we're in for it this week, starting off violent, if Ooh. you will. Um, speaking of violence, Emily, how are you feeling today? A little energized after our little tea spill. I um. know. Emily just dropped more Emily I'd, dad lore on yeah. me. I forget I Emily doesn't it. know things about me. And I'm like, I didn't tell you about that. Yeah, because we, we didn't become friends until we were adults. Like, I was, well, I don't like calling myself an adult because I'm, like, a baby adult. You were at high school when I met you, though. Yes, that's what I mean by, yeah. like, adult. And that's you just, had just fresh graduated, though. Yes. And that's just very different than, like, becoming friends in high school where, like, you know all the tea, you know all their exes, like, you know. I just forget I have to explain these things to you. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, you weren't. I bet I have some some lore you don't know about. I have to. Oh, I'm sure. We'll get into that Anyways. at a later date. How are you feeling? How I feel, I might have shared this one early on, but you know in the Haunted Mansion, the one with Eddie Murphy, when no. he sits up out of, okay, well, there's a scene where one of the skeletons sits up in his little coffin and turns and looks at the camera and it's one of the spookiest things you'll ever see mm. that's how i feel i was really just tired for just a minute rotting. there yeah we were both really tired and then we freaked out we freaked out tea was spilt yes how do i um for me i'd say i this is a story we're gonna take you on okay okay I'm driving, right? Mm-hmm. Going along. Grasshopper lands on my steering wheel. Me, terrified grasshoppers, freaks out. Let's go. Unbuckles. Tucks and rolls. That's how you feel? That's how I feel. My body really hurts. Your body really hurts <laughs> like, and you're scared. Like, all over. <laughs> I'm, I have the spookies. <laughs> like, you know how people on TikTok say they have the Sunday spookies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just have them, like, all the time right now. That's fair. I Bodies think I'm are rotting. Stressed, stressed from a bunch of stuff, but it's okay. This is our stress relief today. Exactly. Not that it's relaxing, but it is for us. So let's get into it. This podcast contains sensitive material such as violence, murder, paranormal activity, and other adult topics. So listener discretion is advised. While we do research all of our episodes, we are just two Emilys with a microphone and a passion for all things spooky. Take it with a grain of salt. All of our sources will be in the show notes. Okay, Emily. So, our word this week is drown. Mm-hmm. Really sad. Like, I'm not even going to pretend that it's not sad. I know. We, when the word generator spit that out, we were both like, ooh. That's interesting. Spooky. That'll force us to find something interesting. Yeah. So, I had two thoughts. Mm -hmm. One, I could do a mythical creature. Yeah. I was going to do sirens because I saw this TikTok. Oh, Have you seen it? Did I send it to you? I don't know. They're on a boat in the ocean and they hear this, like, sound or whatever. Could be fake, most likely. Or whale. It's creepy, though, for sure. But it's creepy. And then I I was like, like can't really make a whole episode out of that. So yeah. I moved on to my second favorite drowning situation. Not that any drowning's my favorite. For sure. But I, the stories I prefer to hear are scuba diving situations. Oh. Underwater deep cave scuba diving. 
I so could freaking hear scary. Mr. Ballin on YouTube, and he has a podcast now, tell me these stories all night long. I fall asleep listening to these. I'm not joking. Mm-hmm. Um, so today I'm going to share with you the Mount Gambier. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, I'm sorry if that's how I do it wrong, but that's just what's going to happen for this episode. Um, it was a cave accident, uh, underwater diving cave accident in 1973. Wow, okay. I did see the autopsy photos for these. Gnarly. Oh my gosh. It Emily, was, how do you find stuff like that? It comes to me, to be honest with you. It okay. finds me. Okay. Well, you know how life finds a way? Well, I saw crime scene photos for last, for my last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was bad because that house was burnt down. This one's just gruesome. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you why later. Uh, content warning for this one, possibly. Oh, hi. Hi, content warning. Okay, content I'll, warning. I'll let you know, um, when that time happens, when I will go into detail about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, here we go. The 1973 Mount Gambier cave diving accident was a scuba diving incident on the 28th of May, 1973, at a flooded sinkhole known as the Shaft near Mount Gambier in South Australia. I don't like that name. The Shaft. The incident claimed the lives of four recreational scuba divers, siblings Stephen and Christine M. Millett, uh, Gordon G. Roberts, and John H. Bockerman. The four divers explored beyond their own planned limits without the mm. use of a guideline and subsequently becoming became lost, eventually exhausting their breath and drowning. As of May 2015, they are the only known fatalities at this site. Mm. Four other divers from the same group survived. So we're going to get into that. This is really choppy. I'm having a hard time reading reading today. Or speaking, I guess. That's okay. Do we need to turn the main light on? No. (laughs) She said fight me. We are not an overhead light family. Ambient light only. Yes, I will use my spooky ghost lights. Yep. Okay. I don't mean to make light of the situation. I'm laughing because it's just, it's dark. It, it's really dark in this room. So I didn't know if turning on the big light would help. Mm-hmm. But I get it. We're both really sleepy. Yeah. On 26 May 1973, this was from a European. Mm-hmm. Um... A group of nine divers around arrived at Mount Gambier in South Australia with the intention of cave diving, cave diving the shaft, a three feet wide sinkhole opening leading to a large underwater cavern, famous among divers for its clear water and interesting internal structure. John H. Bockerman, um, Peter S. Burr, Christine M. Millett, Glenn Millett, Stephen Millett, Larry Reynolds, Jordan G. Roberts, and Robert J. Smith were the eight divers intending to venture into the cave. A ninth group member, Joan Harper, had decided she wouldn't be diving and would instead remain beside the sinkhole, preparing hot soup and assisting the group in other ways. So kind of like at their base camp, mm-hmm. you could say. Mm-hmm. So the day prior to the incident, the group signed the guest book at the farmhouse of B.V. Ashby and completed a successful dive at the sinkhole, extending a shot line approximately 150 feet into the water and reaching the primary point of interest known as the rock pile, a central pile of limestone rubble about 40 meters directly below the sinkhole entrance. They briefly explored the perimeter of the rock pile before before surfacing. 
their shot line already in place, the group planned to return the next morning and continue exploring the cavern. So the group arrived at the sinkhole on the morning of 28th of May after refilling their 72 cubic feet cylinders at Mount Grandbeer and quickly descended into the rock pile. Reports from the divers indicate that they had not planned to explore beyond the edge, a narrow and downward sloping continuation of the cave on one side of the main chamber, far from the natural light shafted provided by the sinking hole opening, mm-hmm. the sinkhole opening. Mm-hmm. The rock pile was generally considered the boundary for safe recreational diving. The surrounding cavern was dark, unexplored, covered in loose salt or silt <laughs> and limestone rubble. Um, and continued downward to the depths of the yeah, where the effects of nitrogen narcosis become extreme if the breathing gas is not diluted by helium. Uh, so I'm gonna okay. explain what nitrogen narcosis is really fast because it's gonna uh, it's gonna come up again kind of so the signs and symptoms narcosis can produce tunnel vision making it difficult to read multiple gauges due to its perception altering effects the onset of narcosis may be hard to recognize at its most benign narcosis results in relief of anxiety a feeling of tranquility and mastery of the environment these effects are essentially Identical to various concentrations of nitrous oxide. One of the most dangerous aspects of narcosis are the impairment of judgment, multitasking and coordination, and the loss of decision-making ability and focus. That's not ideal for diving. No. So, from what I understand, it's when you hit a certain point where it's too deep and your systems get kind of weird. Yeah, and you're like hazy, kind of like... Yeah. Comatose. Basically. Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah. So while the initial descent went smoothly, the eight divers neglected several recognized safety procedures early in the dive. The shot line did not extend all the way to the cavern floor and was not equipped with extra air tanks, nor were the divers prepared for with adequate air management strategies. The group had not established specific diving partners. They did not use any form of safety guideline. Glenn Millett later stated that they did not use safety lines because eight separate lines in such a confined space would have created a dangerous situation for divers. That's fair. I cannot speak English anymore, so just bear with me a little longer. Robert Smith had dived at the sinkhole on eight previous occasions and established most of the dive plan and was not expecting the other members of the group to venture as far into the cave as they did. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to gonna explain what the sinkhole looks like. The cave is one of several deep solution features in porous limestone in part of, the south, in part of South Australia. The main chamber is about 140 meters, so 460 feet long, Mm-hmm. and about 80 meters to 160 feet wide. Mm-hmm. Water level is about 70 meter, 7 meters, well, 23 feet below the ground level. And the hole is considerably wider at this point. A rock pile directly under the surface opening rises to a minimum depth of about 118 feet. A tunnel extends to the northwest to a depth of about 260 feet, and another to the east, 407 feet. So... This thing's deep and wide. Yeah, it's huge. Not at, like, its main entrance, but... It, like, expands. It's a sinkhole. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because of the size of the hole and the height of the drop, divers of in equipment are lowered into the chamber separately using a hoist system. Mm-hmm. The name is claimed to be derived from the bright shaft of sunlight which penetrates through the entrance to the depths on a sunny day, like they said before. Yeah. They are planning on just staying within that main lit well area. Lit yeah. The first reasonably accurate map of the cavern was made in 1984 after the newly formed CDAA research group made mapping and photographic dives showing the chamber to be roughly oval in shape. There was another exploration in 1992, but the deepest sections were surveyed and mapped um, in 2002 to 2003. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's just a giant sinkhole, and that's what we're looking at. Yeah. Um, so now I'm going to kind of get into the accident. Separate accounts from the four surviving divers were pieced together with the help of Chief Superintendent Wallace B. Budd to establish a timeline of what happened to the four victims. At the perimeter of the rock pile, Smith began to feel the effects of the nitrogen narcosis. His depth gauge read approximately 180 feet. An expert diver familiar with the symptoms of narcosis, Smith signaled to his group that he was returning to the top of the rock pile. The group signaled that they were going to continue exploring. Smith stayed by the rock pile, circling it for about eight minutes. So he was just searching for animal bones up there, animal Mm -hmm. bones in the water. Um, then he saw the torch of Glenn Millett reser- returning to the direction the others had gone. Glenn Millett had been monitoring his error and knew that he was out of time. He had attempted to tap Christine Millett on the arm and remind her the time was also up, but the two were separated before he could. Smith and Glenn Millett met and surfaced together to find that Larry Reynolds had already returned from his dive. Half a minute later, Peter Burr surfaced with no air left in his tank. Jeez. Pretty much no air, like... Maybe two breaths. That's so scary. Mm-hmm. That's, like, one of my biggest fears. D- yeah. Drowning in general is so scary. Scary, yeah. The fear. Ugh, no thank you. Because you're awake for, like, you stay awake while you're drowning. Yeah. You can feel your air, your lungs fill with air, or water, I mean. The only way that, like, you go faster is you've, if you die from shock. Mm-hmm. But if narcosis set in, you probably just feel pretty confident, unless mm-hmm. your body's telling you otherwise. Mm-hmm. But Oh, I hate that. Mm-hmm. Knowing the others would have similarly low air supplies, Glenn Millett quickly put on the spare tank and returned to the water. He descended to a depth of about 225 feet, where the cliff began to drop off. Um, at the edge, he found Stephen Millett's torch and camera. Significant amount of silt had been disturbed and the visibility had been reduced to nearly zero. Oh, dang. Glenn Millett had no chance but to decompress and return to the surface. By the time he surfaced, an ambulance had arrived at the sinkhole. Peter Burr returned to the cavern for one more look and found nobody. That's so scary. Mm-hmm. By that point, the group was aware that they were looking for bodies, not survivors. Yeah. Just like that. They were like, okay, game over. I can't imagine how they must have felt. Terrifying. Because those are their friends. Some of them were siblings. Yeah. I forgot about that. That's so bad. Scary. At the end of the planned dive, upon returning, upon turning around and returning to the surface, the surfacing divers saw Christine Millet and George Roberts attempt to ascend quickly back to the rock pile. However, instead of ascending along the slope they went down, they swam straight up, possibly because they were worried their air would be exhausted soon. The two divers swam directly upward into a dome. Oh, dang. 
um, end of the ceiling that didn't have an exit yeah. because it's a sinkhole. It's, like a it's got cavern. the shaft and then the oval shape. Yeah. Um, Dang. Oh, mm-hmm. I hate that. The two divers, yeah, into the dome. Reynolds reported seeing their torches frantically search for an exit before Robert signaled back that they were lost, according to Reynolds. Christine Millett and Gordon Roberts looked frightened. That's so sad. This was the last time they were seen. Likely suffering from nitrogen narcosis and surrounded in silt along minimal visibility, the two failed to find an exit. They exhausted their air supply and drowned. Their bodies were later found together below the ceiling dome, which they had failed to escape. That's so sad. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Ugh. My, like, chest feels tight because that's so scary. Well, yeah, anytime I read, like, cave diving, underwater diving, it freaks me out. Especially, like, if you've ever seen what it looks like to be in the water when there's no visibility because yeah. there's so much silt. Yeah. That's terrifying. And, like, as a, I grew up with a pool as a kid. Mm-hmm. And we always used to get these really big rafts. Mm-hmm. Um... And, like, something that used to scare me so bad, and I think is why I have a deep-rooted fear of drowning, it's, like, I would swim up and, like, I would hit my head on the bottom of the raft and, like, Mm. try to find the edge, and, like, I would start panicking, like... (laughs) Yeah, it's that, but you're underwater and you're running out of breath because you're miles below the surface. It's, like, so exponentially worse, like, and now, like, I'm scared of having anything over my head when I'm swimming. Like, you see those videos of, like... You can swim under a formation of rocks to get to no. this cave. And uh-uh. It's like a little tunnel. Absolutely not. Or even like in Sedona where they're like, there's these little waterfalls. You just have to jump into this hole. I'm like, how are you going to get me out no. if I get stuck? Oh. How? What? I the mic. Okay. Yeah. I can't. I can't. I can't. These how? are so scary. <laughs> yes. I love listening to them though for some reason. I would never be able to watch that horror movie that's like based on stuff like this what horror movie there's a horror movie that's based on divers who like find find something in a underwater cave or something finds them or like all i'm thinking of is 49 meters down or whatever it is yeah but that's a shark movie i think i think so too Hmm. i'll look it up okay i'm interested (laughs) interest peaked so further down and around the same time, one surviving diver says they witnessed a member of their group swimming strongly downward further into the cave. This was John Bockerman, who was likely under the effects of severe nitrogen narcosis. Where he's like, yes, this is the way. This is the way, probably. That's so sad. Because it makes you feel more confident and it, like, alleviates your anxiety. And yeah. you're like, yep, that's, I'm going there. And your decision making is flawed. Mm-hmm. They may have been unaware that he was swimming. He may have been unaware that he was swimming to his death. His mm-hmm. body was located about twenty feet further from where he was last seen, mm. and was at the greatest depth of the four victims. The fourth casualty, Stephen Millet, uh, may have been seen lost beneath the cave ceiling shortly before the survivors, the surviving divers surfaced. Mm-hmm. Although his torch and camera were found deep at the base of the rock pile, his body was found under an overhang at a depth of only about 50 feet. Compared with the other victims, little is known about Stephen's Stephen's final moments. Interesting. But he was wearing a buoyancy vest, and to have been found under an overhang is likely that he was buoyant at the time of his death. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is bad. When Mm -hmm. you're diving, being buoyant is very bad. Yeah. Interesting. 
so maybe he deployed it if it's one that you deploy yourself yeah or maybe, maybe he was unconscious he was so close like maybe he thought he was almost there and pulled it to like carry him the rest of the way mm-hmm. but he wasn't under that's so sad the shaft yeah oh my gosh um so now i'm gonna get into the body recovery yeah i was just about to ask you how the heck did they get these people back trigger warning gore warning <laughs> Um, I will go into detail if you would like. <laughs> I saw the photos and I was like, because listen, I've seen drowning victims, but I've not seen a scuba diver drowning victim. True. And like, depth does stuff to you. The one that I saw, he was found 11 months after. Woof. We're getting into that. Oh my gosh. The search of the cave by the police, a search of the cave by the police underwater recovery squad, that made no sense. You get what I mean. The police undercover squad. Yes. Underwater recovery. I keep meshing those together. You're okay. Um, I'm moving this again. I want it to be far, but not too far. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was initiated on the 29th of May, 1973, the day after the incident. The search was brief and no bodies were found. The team was aware that they were underprepared for a dive in such conditions. And the operation was described by Chief Inspector Wallace Budd, who we had mentioned before. (laughs) A second attempt was made on the 30th, again unsuccessful. Mm. The police search was ultimately postponed as the team sought naval expertise on the dive. Um, the training for which was expected to take several months. Wow. The following January, the landowners permitted the television film crew making a documentary on cave diving in the lower southeast to enter the sinkhole. On the 22nd of January, 1974, after several days of diving in other caves in the area, the crew descended to a depth of about 50 feet and using professional lighting equipment, illuminated the cave like daylight. Mm. A technician looking in the direction of the of two of his teammates noticed what appeared to be a third person behind them. Further inspection revealed that it was a body in a wetsuit. Because keep in mind... That is so scary. One of them was found at 50 feet. Mm-hmm. It's Can dark. Can you imagine finding that? No. Being uh, like, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> I, Bodies don't decompose I normally under so the water. Fast. I would swim up so fast. I'd be like, bye. Well, in a wetsuit, it kind of preserves you a bit. Um, so the crime scene photo that I saw, I don't know if it was from this exact dive because it was on Reddit. Mm-hmm. Peace and love Reddit. I don't trust you sometimes. Fair. Um, but they were wearing their goggles mm. and they had their wetsuit on. So everything from here, I'm pointing to midneck down, was saved. It just had a specific, I forgot the word for it. It kind of... It looks kind of like rock, I guess, in a photo, but it's mushy and crackly. Gross. Yeah. But where his mask was missing, jaw. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. your body does decompose and things eat you. Mm-hmm. Ah, the circle of life. Once again, we're <laughs> here. Uh, so that was pretty gnarly. Um, yeah. The body was immediately towed out, and police divers continued searching to a depth of about 180 feet, finding nothing else. 
The body was initially only identifiable by the equipment it was wearing, and official identification required um, dental records. So and they can be like, who's this? Oh, yeah. It was, let's look at your teeth, friend. Yeah. The body was determined to be Stephen Mellet. Mm-hmm. Um, the landowners, growing increasingly uncomfortable with the remaining three bodies stuck in their property, approached an amateur diving team from Melbourne to begin recovery efforts. However, the police diving team was finalizing their recovery preparations around the same time. Mm. So on March 9th, 1974, RG Trainer, sorry, my printer round out of black ink, so everything's colored. <laughs> and the team of diner diners divers entered the shaft equipped um, with subs- substantially improved diving gear, a depth of 185 feet. Trainer saw a body below him laying on its back. On further examination, he found a second body directly beneath it. These were the bodies of Christine Millett and Gordon Roberts. Mm-hmm. 20 feet deeper, Trainer also located the body of John Bockerman beneath a rock ledge. He attempted to move the body into a more easily recoverable position, but abandoned the effort knowing he did not have sufficient air. Good job. The next day, the divers attempted to return to recover bodies, but did not succeed and the effort was called off after the water became too murky. Several more dives were attempted, but the bodies could not be lo- relocated. Finally, on the third day of diving, the bodies were found, and Christine Millet and Gordon Roberts were recovered from a depth of 195 feet on March 11, 1974. Attempts were made to recover Bockerman's body from the depth of 215 feet the following morning, but divers aborted the recovery because of onset nitrogen narcosis. The divers were sent home for a month to recover from the extended efforts and further trained for the final body removery. Removery. <laughs> recovery. Um, which was the most challenging because of its extreme depth and pr- position. Mm-hmm. The final dive plan included one day of diving to secure location of the body using a guideline. A rest day for the divers to recover from potential uh, narcotic effects, though mm-hmm. narcotic effects are now known to dissipate immediately upon ascending with no after effects. Oh, that's good. And a third day to recover the body. Mm-hmm. The divers experienced significant narcosis during both days of diving, but their improved equipment and procedures ensued the operation went as planned, and John H. Bockerman's body was recovered from the cave on April 9th, 1974 11 months and 11 days after the accident wow yeah that's crazy so the final cause of death obviously was um terminal drowning Mm -hmm. the specific term and i'm gonna get into the autopsy the autopsy of stephen millet the three possible modes of fatal injury consisted were air embolism embolism a consequence of lung overpressure Oh, okay. Um, usually due to ascent while holding your breath. So you're supposed to breathe consistently when you're diving. Mm. Um, or else the air still goes into your lungs. So when you have that mouthpiece on, it's always going to blow air in. So yeah. you need to make sure you're actually breathing mm-hmm. it in. Which is, yeah. That used to scare me for a really long time. Even though I was not a scuba diver. <laughs> That's why I know about that. Yeah, the coroner magistrate, R.F. Stokes, concluded that the four divers overstayed their bottom time um, and ran out of air and died of hypoxia, 
the usual consequence of fatal drowning. Mm -hmm. A further finding found that although the divers claimed to be experienced and four of them were instructors, none of them were experienced sinkhole divers or cave divers. Oh, okay. And that no appropriate safety precautions had been taken, referring specifically to the lack of fail-safe return to the surface system. Stage emergency decomposition, you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. and any recognized safety system, such as a buddy system. Yeah. And that no one clearly had responsibility for planning the dive and safety of the group. Mm Mm-hmm. And those, the drowning of the four victims, those stories freak me out. That's so scary. But I just... I don't want to say I enjoy it, but I do like to listen to that form of true crime, per se. It's definitely really interesting. And, like, I don't know. We're always going to have a morbid fascination with certain things as human nature. That's exactly what it is. I'm morbidly curious. I'm like, so that's what happens? Like, same with the crime scene photos. Like, I'm not excited that someone's dead and that's their body. I'm just so curious. Like, is that what it looks like? Yeah, for sure. Especially when we've been absorbing this stuff for so long, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, moving on. Mm-hmm. I am going to tell you about the smiley face murder theory. <laughs> Emily's face right now. My jaw on the floor! I just watched this documentary about this! Oh, no. Well, you can help me if I do a bad job. <laughs> Wait, it wasn't a documentary. It was a Tyler Henry episode. Yes, I saw that he did that uh, at the bottom of this article. There's, yeah. like, a link to it. I love Tyler Henry. Go watch him. Support yes. him. I love him. Moving on. Moving on. So, last year, 11 bodies, mostly men in their 20s or early 30s, were removed from the Chicago River and Lake Michigan's shoreline, according to the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office. Renewing interest in a theory about a serial killer or a group of serial killers targeting young men across the Midwest. Typically, they were last seen in nightlife areas of the city. The cause of death is still unknown in most of these cases. The Cook County Medical Examiner's Office told Newsweek three of those cases were ruled accidents, one was ruled a suicide, and the other seven were ruled as undetermined. When a drowning is unwitnessed and evidence of accident, suicide, or homicide is not present, the manner of death is ruled undetermined, the office told Newsweek in a statement. If new evidence is presented, the office will review it and determine whether the initial ruling should be amended. Which, fair. So, like, while I was um, researching for this case, I saw that, like, drowning is one of the hardest murder methods to confirm Mm -hmm. especially if there's not a witness so usually there has to be marks of like asphyxiation or strrangulation Mm -hmm. to prove that it was murder or you you can't keep evidence on the body it's washed away yes and like i feel like sometimes it's hard to tell if someone was just like kicked in the river or whatever you Mm -hmm. know what i mean Mm -hmm. unless someone saw anyway so that's why a lot of them are ruled as undetermined. But the mystery of the deaths and the sheer amount of bodies found has led many living in Chicago area to suspect a a serial killer or killers could be to blame. Most recently, on Wednesday, another adult male body was found in the Chicago River in Bridgeport, according to Chicago Police Marine Unit. 
I think this article was released in like February of this year. Just to Okay. So twenty twenty three. Yes, it was this year. But earlier. Mm-hmm. Um before that two bodies were discovered last December, including the body of twenty five year old Northwestern doctoral student Peter Sol- Salvino. Salvino who had gone missing three days earlier walking home from a party. The Cook County's medical examiner's office ruled his death an accidental drowning. So, who is the smiley face killer? In 1997, two retired New York City detectives, Kevin Gannon and Anthony Durate, and criminal justice professor and gang expert Lee Gliberton, so many names, mm-hmm. Advanced the smiley face murder theory. This came after three college-aged men were found dead in city rivers around the same time. They believe that a string of young men found dead in bodies of waters across several Midwestern states. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you're going to get to this, but is this the same one that the TikToker guy was talking about? Yes. You're going to get to that? I'm not going to get to that, but that is him. Okay. So... This case resurfaced recently um, because of TikTok. Mm-hmm. And this one guy was, like, claiming that he was, like, figuring it out and everything. But, like, he was a con artist. He was a con artist? He was a con artist. He was trying to um, advertise something he was selling. Like, I think a safety thing. I had no idea. Yeah, I just occasionally would see his... Mm-hmm tiktok page come up and you'd be like there is a serial killer here in chicago and then i'd be like oh that's really creepy and weird scroll yeah but we're gonna we're gonna get into what we think is going on okay thank you so they believe the string of young men found in found dead in bodies of water across several midwestern states from the late 1990s to the 2010s was the work of a serial killer or a group of serial killers in most cases, the official cause of death is listed as an accidental drowning. The detectives have investigated the deaths of at least 45 college-aged men who were found dead in the water in 11 states in the early 2000s. As of now, Gannon told Newsweek that there are 681 cases in their database that they suspect may be connected. I know, they're going crazy with this. Wow. I know. Uh, Gannon told CNN in 2008 that he believed the men were drugged and abducted from bars, held and possibly mentally or physically abused before being killed. Durante said that all of the young men were popular, athletic, and good students who they believe were targeted. While he hasn't looked much into the recent bodies discovered in Chicago, Gannon says he believed they are connected. The fact that you have so many of them in such a short period of time, I have to say that I would say they're connected, he said. He said the group is becoming more brazen because they know they can do whatever they want. Of course, they're picking it up, and why wouldn't they? There's no consequences to what they're doing. Cannon added that these alleged killings have been going on in Chicago since 1999. That's 24 years. Yeah. And, like... I get what they're saying by, like, all these men are young, attractive, popular, like, that's victimology, like, to its core, mm-hmm. is, like, you know, if if a serial killer only kills brunettes in their 20s, that's victimology. That's his type. Mm-hmm. 
So, like, I get that. But, like, mm. <laughs> we'll get into it. Okay. So, why call them smiley face murders? The name smiley face comes from graffiti depicting a smiley face along with 13 other distinct symbols found near the locations where they believe the killers dumped the bodies, Cannon told Newsweek. The group is actually leaving symbols behind letting you know, yes, this was us, come and catch us, he said, adding that each city has their own symbols. Hmm. Law enforcement investigators and other experts, however, are skeptical. So is there really a smiley face killer? In 2008, the FBI debunked this theory after receiving information about young college-age men who were found deceased in rivers in the Midwest. The FBI has reviewed the information about the victims provided by the two retired police detectives who have dubbed these incidents the Smiley Face Murders and and interviewed an individual who provided information to the detectives. To date, we have not developed any evidence to support links between these tragic deaths or any evidence substantiating the theory that these deaths are the work of a serial killer or killers. Okay. So FBI is like, no. (laughs) He added that the majority of these incidences appear to be alcohol-related drownings. And that was like my first thought with this. Yeah, because they're college students. Like, mm, yes, I'm not victim blaming here. No, absolutely. They're college students. They can get really, really drunk, especially if you're in a frat. Yes. Especially in big cities. Big cities. You can go out like a light. And, like, alcohol-related drownings in general Mm -hmm. are very, very, very common. Yeah. And I don't doubt that, like, yeah, some of these people could have been killed. I'm not saying that. Oh, 100%. But that's a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah. So, the nonprofit Center for Homicide Research in Minneapolis also received a report debunking the smiley face murder, ki- murder theory due to a lack of physical evidence of a serial killer, no signs of torture, or blunt force trauma on the bodies that could point to deaths being homicides. Mm-hmm. My point, exactly. <laughs> but this has not deterred Gannon and Durante. Since 2008, Gannon, Durante, and Gliberson said that said these have argued that, well, so that they, they've argued that these deaths are instead the work of multi-state gang killers. I'd believe that. I don't doubt that. Mm-hmm. Gannon said that this is a well-structured, organized group with cells in major cities around the United States. He said each city could have between 8 to 20 members. The motive of the group remains unknown, he said, adding that these cases are gang-oriented, adding that the group chooses a narrow, specific group to target. There is a ritualistic aspect to these killings, he told Newsweek. There is an element of hate. They are equal opportunity killers, and they hate almost anybody. Gannon said that the autopsies could be the key to understanding whether these deaths are accidents or homicides. I agree with that. Mm Mm-hmm. In his experience, Gannon said that there are some victims pulled from waterways that were not very drunk and that did not have water in their lungs, which would be expected in a drowning. He also said that he also said traces of GHB, known as the date rape drug, were found in some of the victims' bodies. Gannon said that the odorless, tasteless drug could be slipped into victims' drink when people were leaving the bar. 
The time of year these bodies are found has also been suspicious to Gannon. He said that many of these bodies were found in waterways during winter. Most people don't go in the water during winter months, he said. Chicago is an icebox. Fair. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He suspects these incidents happen in the winter because no one is out by the water, unlike in the summertime. No witnesses. Gannon, Durante, and Gliberson also created the docuseries on oxygen about this theory called Smiley Face Killers, The Hunt for Justice. Wow. And that's all I have. That's That's all we know. I go back and forth on this where Mm -hmm. I agree with the detective who said the only way we can narrow this down, like who are actual victims of possibly... Mm-hmm. crimes murders and who are just drowning victims accidental drowning victims is the autopsies yeah i 100 percent agree with that yeah i i could see it be gang related in the way where maybe it could be a gang initiation mm-hmm. where like you know you have to murder this one of these guys from one of these bars mm-hmm. to get it I could see that. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense to me that they're just going around. Yeah, I wouldn't know what like the motive would be. Them. I don't yeah. know if it's like gang or mob or. I don't know. It's definitely interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I have to say, like, one of these victims, like, he got lost. They lost him, like, on the way home from a party, and it's like. Maybe he was just drunk and slipped and fell. Mm-hmm. He could have if he didn't. Yeah. I don't know. And I don't want a victim blame at all. No. Once again, it's just like... It's sad either way. Someone died. Of course. Died. And, like, alcohol-related drownings are common, so, like, you kind of have to think of that, but... I don't know. That's... All it is is a theory. That's all I'm bringing to the table today. Mm-hmm. So, I'm sorry. This is so out in the open, but... Let me know what you guys think. Do you think this is the work of a serial killer, a group of serial killers? Do you think they're all completely unrelated, or do you think it's a mix of both? Yeah. What do you think, Emily? I think it's a mix of both. It's a lot of everything. There's a lot happening. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt that it's a mix of both. Well, especially since it has the rape date drug in it. Absolutely. And some other systems. I'm like, that's really sus. Mm Mm-hmm. And they could also just be murder victims who were dumped. Yeah, I think that too. That's very plausible. And also, like, researching this, there's so many cases of, like, mothers drowning their kids, mm-hmm. husbands drowning their wives. Like, it stuff like this happens all the time. Mm-hmm. It sounds so sad to say, but, like, stuff like this happens all the time. They could be one-off occurrences and just like people drown a lot or would get well, yeah a and lot. accidents happen like we live here in arizona it's like you have a pool in your backyard we hear, you have to have a fence on that thing exactly we hear kids drowning every summer even adults drinking we and hear it's that so every summer. sad every it single is. time it just it happens unfortunately well that's all i have for this week depressing everybody yes it is Thank Go you all watch for Phineas and Ferb. Yes. I want to watch Phineas and Ferb. Let's watch Phineas and Ferb. 
Thank you all so much for listening. Remember to rate, comment, review, subscribe, and subscribe to subscribe. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Follow our Instagram at Chronic Pain and Paranoia. Um, remember to plug in your heating pads. Take your meds. Stay spooky. Stay spooky. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>